you know, millionaire, hundred millionaire, like getting into creative financing is a, is a, is an avenue for, especially for those who are in a very successful position, because it's more likely they'll own their finance because they understand the, the interest rates. Um, how we got involved in that. Uh, I think what's most important is as a family, we realize that it's not just about real estate transactions. It's about building and growing a sustainable and predictable business through real estate transactions. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Zachary Beach here with me. He is an expert in real estate. He's an Amazon best-selling author of the new rules of real estate investing and co-host of the Smart Real Estate Coach podcast. He's a partner COO and coach at Smart Real Estate Coach. And in September of 2020, they'll be releasing the revised edition of Real Estate on Your Terms, which Zach will be co-authoring. And I am excited because it is a mind-shifting way of investing in real estate. And, uh, and I'm ready to dive into that. He's also a father of two. And so we're going to hop in and find out what he's doing with his, with his kids and, and parenting in the new world. So with that said, welcome to the show, Zach. Cody, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I know that you actually attended our one of our events, right? I did. Uh, recently. So uh, I'm sure you got a little bit more perspective about what exactly we do. So this is going to be a fantastic conversation. It was fantastic, man. I loved Ed Milet's stories. Um, you know, and also, uh, I think it was Amanda, uh, Barriott's, I think is how you say it. I've had her on the show as well. And so, um, oh, nice. yeah, super awesome event. You guys provide so much value in the things that you do. And so I guess we'll start there. Like how, um, how did you get into what you're doing now? Yeah. Uh, money was, well, I know this is kind of a, a family show here. Uh, and the funny thing is we have uh, a family business. Uh, so I was a, I was in high school. I had no idea what I was doing. I went to college because that's what we were told to do. When I got out of college, I still had no idea what I wanted to do. And I became a bartender. Makes perfect sense. Uh, I lived down in uh, Southern Rhode Island. I moved down here. And um, it's like a really nice tourist destination. So I was like, bartending looks fun. Let's do it. So me and my wife did that for about uh, four years. And I just started getting burnt out because I also picked up other side gigs. Like I would personal train. Uh, I was doing some network marketing and then I was bartending. So my schedule like never ended. I probably didn't see my side of the family for like two years. Uh, so I went to my father-in-law, Chris, who I know is on this podcast uh, and my business partner. And I said, hey, I know you're involved in real estate. You've been involved in real estate. I have no idea if I'm going to like real estate, but it's going to be better than this. So let, <laughs> are you open to let me kind of give this a try? 
So on top of my other gigs, I just started cold calling. Uh, I used to get a list of expired listings, which means they came off the market at one point in time, these, these sellers. And I'd make calls, work on scripts. And then eventually, uh, it was April six years ago is when I kind of burned the bridges um, and hopped into real estate full time. Uh, it you know, never looked back since. Now, I know um, with yourself and Chris, who I've actually interviewed before, um, Chris Prefontaine, and, um, and now you guys have written several books now at this point. And, uh, and so can you kind of give an idea of what, because you talked about just hopping into real estate, but you got, y'all do it a little bit differently. And so I'd like you to kind of dive into what your strategy or uh, your niche in the market is. Yeah, it's funny because I'm like so naive because I've only done this type of real estate investing, uh, which isn't, see, it's not difficult. It's not simple. Uh, it, you know, so it's kind of in between, uh, but it's creative financing. We, we primarily focus on what we would consider it buying and selling on terms. Uh, what that simply means, it means that you don't use your own cash. You don't use your own credit. You typically don't even give deposits uh, and uh, you don't sign personally. So uh, we do these very creative types of deals uh, that are able to provide solutions to both buyers and sellers that typically the traditional market can't. So walk me through one that you would, it would be a way for someone to understand what we're talking about. Yeah, I would say that uh, there's two ones that are, are super common, or I would say at least people have heard of them, whether they're involved in real estate or not. And that is uh, a lease purchase uh, is what we call it because it's more definitive, but a lot of people here rent to own. That's one way uh, or owner financing or seller financing is a, is another way that may many people have probably heard of. And uh, it's roughly uh, they're expecting roughly about anywhere from 10 to uh, 25% of all real estate transactions to be start being done via seller financing to be cutting off the, these banks because roughly a third of the properties nationally in North America are free and clear, which is a, a very specific niche that we focus on. Uh, so Rent to own, real easy. You're almost, if you think about like two different pieces and this is going like super high level. Uh, if you're an investor, you're looking to buy a property, you're gonna buy the property on like a net lease. Uh, meaning you're gonna control the entire property. So you'll agree upon a price with a seller, you'll control the property. And then uh, a specific date in the future, you're gonna have to exercise that option. You're gonna have to buy the property. Uh, what you do though, as a real estate investor, you tie that up on the seller side and then what you do is you go and find buyers that are outside of financeability, someone who's self-employed, someone who had a legitimate hiccup in their credit, and then you sell it to them because you have the ability kind of uh, you have the ability to sublease. So you sell it to them uh, on a lease option as well. You collect everything in the middle. It's referred to as a sandwich lease. You collect everything in the middle, so you're getting paid from your buyer. You're then paying the seller, and you collect everything in the middle. Um, and then we without. Uh, we, we could dig for a little bit further into this, but we create three distinctive paydays uh, from those types of deals uh, so that we can create money now, monthly, and in the future. Yeah, I loved it um, kind of digging through and seeing the ways that you can do this because you can do it without money out of pocket. You know, it's a little more on the, on the, on the uh, sweat equity side, right? It's a little more on the hustle side. And then, uh, but it becomes, it becomes a, a, something that's available and I couldn't believe how big the market was when I was talking to Chris about it. Like, I didn't realize that a third of the properties were free and clear owned in the U.S. And for a lot of people on the seller side, that creates a tax advantage, right? For them to be able to sell, hold, collect some interest, a whole lot more than they're going to get in a savings account, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, let me just sit on a couple of things just so people, because I you heard sweat equity. I don't know if you meant the sweat, but I just want to I don't mean sure it in a bad way. No, I don't. No, like, you're not, <laughs> we're, not, we're not working. Like, if you yeah. want to do fix and flips and go ahead and do that, we're, we've done those types of things in the past. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, so when you said hustle effect, yeah, because I would say maybe hustle gonna, equity would be a little bit better, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, that, that's it's because well, you got to put in the work because there's yeah. a specific amount of people that are willing to sell you their property with little to no money down on a house. Uh, and then with, you know, not to receive their equity in, you know, three, five, 10 years. Uh, yeah. It's just, you're right. It's very much sorting and sifting. So uh, hustle equity. I like that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a good book title, I think. Right. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> um, and so when you got into this six years ago, what have you seen happen in the market in the last six years? Well, I mean, we've, we've, uh, when I first jumped in this business, it was people were coming out of like the, the 08 mindset, right? Because now you're, it lasted to about 2012. So when I hopped in, I mean, you're in the mid 2000s, the market was like relatively flat, but it was moving. Like people were happy. Um, and then of course, over the last like 24 months, it's been some massive pickup. Um, so it, it's been interesting because I went from kind of this flat market to this uh, intense market in probably about three years. And then, uh, and then right now, I mean, nobody really knows, but I mean, my guess would be that it's going to have to slow down at some point in time. Um, just because of, I mean, the house, so I bought my own house on a lease purchase. Uh, I'm self-employed. I fit. So I, I was cherry picking one time when I was going through my leads and I found a house and I said, Hey, uh, I went to my wife and said, this is in the town we want. Let's go check it out. Uh, so I made an offer to this guy and I ended up buying the property on a lease purchase. I did, I, I put some money into the property, uh, but it was right on the water. So within two years, the house appreciated, uh, I think like, a, I don't know, 125 to $130,000 uh, in two years. So I say that because there's got to be at some point in time, the market's going to have to correct itself. Uh, but right now, I mean, a lot of sellers are very happy. I'll tell you what, where I'm at right here in central Florida, because of such a low cost of living and being in Florida, we have over a thousand people a day moving here right now uh, from out of state. And it's like it, the property values, it just shot off. Like they're, they're, it's been crazy. It's, it reminds me of 07. Um, I was in the real estate business when, when all the fun was happening, 05, 06, 07. Oh, yeah. and, uh, but the, the, the difference is, is that the financing is, is much more difficult than it was uh, during those times. And so it's, it's kind of a, you know, it, it feels like the market is very difficult to determine because you've got factors on one side saying, okay, well, it's very low cost of living compared to the rest of the country. And there's a lot of people moving here. And then you've got other sides of that saying, well, this can't keep going up like, a you know, straight up. And so it's, it, it seems to be kind of an odd time is those, will that affect, will values, let's say values drop, will that affect the terms business? Yeah, great question. Uh, and just to add on that for Devin, that it's almost like we're, we're seeing like this facade, right? Because it's like the prices are going up, interest rates are dropping. But what I'm seeing is that so many buyers are falling through at the last minute where they can't actually get financing because of the dramatic shift from COVID and everything that's happening. So it's like the sellers feel as though it's like this massive market where they can get any price they want because you have five buyers bidding on it. But then at the end of the day, you have three buyers falling through. Yeah. Uh, even though the bank originally accepted, they originally got the offer accepted, but day before they checked their, their history and they're like, you don't have six months or 12 months of reserves in your bank account anymore. So we're not going to give you the loan. 
So it's, it's unpredictable, which leads me to the, the add-on, which is, it is perfect for un, uncertainty and unpredictability because what you're able to do is when you're working with these types of sellers, especially if you're getting long-term deals, right? let's say I go to a seller today and I say, I want to buy your property. We're going to do owner financing. And they agree to a five, seven to 10 year uh, balloon date. We're already going to go through a market cycle by the time they need their balloon. <laughs> so we handle everything during the process uh, as real estate investors. That's where, you know, we specialize. And then them as a seller, they're collecting a monthly payment until their balloon. And if, especially if it's seven to 10 years, I mean, you both know we'd already gone through a market cycle. So terms business becomes very, very powerful because when there's uncertain times, people need creative measures, especially if you look at the buyer pool right now. Yeah. Interest rates are real low. I think uh, the interest rate like the other day was like 2.75 or 2.7. Um, but the amount of buyers that can qualify for loans are like 10% now, 15%. Yeah. Not everybody has the ability to, to get those types of loans. So now more and more buyers need our program, like our rental program in order to purchase a property. Uh, so now that, of course, that's going to eventually affect sellers, which means then they're going to need creative deals now too. And so when you have that scenario, you guys are providing a certainty really into the market, right? And it's kind of a smoothing process, would you call it? Sure. Yeah, I'd take that. <laughs> um, and uh, well, I kind of want to talk too about you guys just, I went to your, we kind of mentioned it to start off with about the event that you guys just put on. And so, um, and, I, and I mentioned like you guys had like, I mean, Ed Milet is a massive speaker and and you've had you had a bunch of other people that were come on to do these kind of things and like so how did you get into throwing these kind of like events for doing this stuff and and walk me through like the 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 because it's totally different than doing real estate right hmm. and so um how did how did you get kind of into that and and what are your experiences with that yeah and my let which I, we found out when we interviewed him on the podcast he actually started in creative financing like that's how he started making his money and uh, he told us offline that he uh, did the largest property swap like in the in North America. It's like $40 million. He swapped like a compound in Idaho for a compound on the uh, Southern California. So we're talking like it, if you're listening to this and you have and you're wealthy and you're financially set and you know, you're, you know, you know, millionaire, hundred millionaire, like getting into creative financing is a, is a, is an avenue for, especially for those who are in a very successful position, because it's more likely they'll own or finance because they understand the, the interest rates. Um, how we got involved in that. Uh, I think what's most important is as a family, we realize that it's not just about real estate transactions. It's about building and growing a sustainable and predictable business through real estate transactions. So these events are really important because it brings everything together. Like you were at this event, we brought in mindset, we brought in health. Uh, we brought in some big speakers like Mike McCallitz because he was talking about how COVID's affecting the economy in general. You got Ed Milet that hops on and says, look, this is a personal development thing. You need to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with the right people. You're having a right coach. Uh, you know, you're working on yourself daily in order to get to a point where there. So yeah, we can talk about real estate deals that were blue in the face, but what really comes down to is do you, does the real estate investor have all the other pieces in order to be successful? So we try to bring that all together and 
Uh, that's why we host a couple events a year. But that's also what we do within our smart real estate coach community or what we call the Wicked Smart community. And that is we're constantly bringing things surrounding your mindset. Why does it take somebody, why can it take one person, you know, say three weeks to get their first property under contract on a creative financing? And then why does it take somebody 365 days to get their first property under contract? And it's all because it's in here and it's all the junk and crap that we bring to the business from our past lives that, that, you know, either allow us to be successful or don't allow us to be successful. So we really want to bring it all together so that we can create, you know, this massive business and this movement uh, for real estate and creative deals. Yeah. Cause I mean, you guys have a huge, uh, we've just been kind of talking, it's just a family business, but you guys have a huge community of people that you're teaching to do this stuff around the country. Right. And so um, you've kind of gone from just like you're doing your own creative financing deals into, well, let's see what kind of impact we can have with a lot of people doing these kinds of things, right? Yeah, there was a point in time about, I think it was about four years ago, and I could be off on timing. I mean, it's all starting to blur now that I have a couple of kids. Um, but there was a point in time where we had this like tipping point where we were doing a little bit of coaching um, for, I don't know, say for fun, but it was like, it, it, it serves a certain purpose for, for us as well. And then we had a real estate investment company and we sat there one day and we said, uh, because the coaching was starting to pick up momentum, we said, what do we want to do? Uh, and we tossed a lot more resources at the coaching because we said, look, we can either impact uh, basically three people at a time. You impact the buyer, the seller, and then us as real estate investors, every transaction, or we can impact, hundreds and hundreds of students to teach them to be real estate investors. And now you not only impact them and their family, but you impact if they do a hundred deals and then they do a hundred deals, just a massive amount of movement in order to make this a better place really uh, was, was more, was greater. And we had a better, a bigger vision for, it. even though we still buy and sell real estate, we still have our own company, like me and Nick and Chris are still heavily involved in our investment company. Uh, but we, uh, we, we, we threw a lot of resources at the coaching side as well. And so when you have people come in, um, what are some of the faults in the mindset that you see? Cause you kind of oh, mentioned about yeah. some of the stuff that comes in with the junk between their ears. Right. And so, yeah. uh, what, what is that? What do you see as the difference between that person who gets their first contract in three weeks and the one that takes 365 days, like you mentioned? Yeah, I would say a major thing is the understanding of cause and effect. Um, what I mean by that is there's always a lag time before when you put action in and when you actually receive the result. If somebody that's going to get a deal done, say in their first month is going to come in knowing that they have to put in massive action immediately to, to have that lag effect be shorter. Like the higher the, the higher the cause, you know, the higher the effect. So if you can put in massive amount of action immediately, then you're, uh, then you're going to receive the benefits more quickly. Uh, every person that comes in that does deals say within their first 90 days comes in with that mindset. Like I'm going to put in the work. I'm just going to put in the work. I'm just going to put in the work and I'm going to put my blinders on. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to listen and put in the work and follow the system uh, compared to those who don't. Right. It's, it, there's the, uh, it, it's really like a balance of expectations though, too. If you come in and you say, look, I only want to do like a deal or two a year. This is just to start putting towards my retirement. I'm not going to retire for 20 years then great. We, we can set the expectation there. But if you're going to come in and think you're going to make a massive business and you're not going to put in the work and you're not going to follow the system, um, then it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen quickly. It's going to take a lot more time. Um, 
so that there's that aspect. Uh, but the other aspect, yes, mindset, but the other aspect is, is skill set too, because we work with a lot of people that are transitioning, typically are transitioning out of like the workforce or out of the corporate life. And they've been, they've been set for this very specialized position or a managerial position or whatever it looks like. And then you become a, a real estate entrepreneur. And now you have all the other things that balance with it. So you got not only mindset, but then you have like time management. Uh, and then you have, uh, you know, like setting expectations, setting your goals. Then you have skill, like skills have to do with financing. So like in understanding your business, what's your cost, what's your expenses? Like uh, it's just all those entrepreneurial skills need to be taught as well uh, because it is a business. It's not just transactions. That's because we don't really teach much of that at school, do we? <laughs> oh, no, we do not. I, Jesse, I grew up with a single mother. She's a, uh, she was a cashier at Lowe's when I was growing up. So, I mean, none of this stuff was taught to me. I had to find it out. And that's why I constantly, or even though my son's three years old, I, I try to like input those little seeds, like just, just so like let's talk dad about works that. hard. Yeah. So let's, so let's talk about that. What, um, we kind of talked a little bit offline and you were talking about dad's rules, right? And so, yeah. uh, let's talk about some of the things that you're going to now pass on or what your strategy is. Cause you have, you said, I think it's probably one and three, right? One of your own three-year-old. Yeah, my son turns three next week and my daughter just turned one uh, last week. So what are you thinking? You're going through some stuff through your head, right? And so yeah. what are you thinking that um, your strategy is going to be to help accelerate them in their journey of, you know, the things that they're going to learn in school, you know, they're going to learn their colors and their numbers and eventually they're going to get into English, all those fun subjects. But like, what are you going to talk to them about around money and entrepreneurship? Yeah, around money, uh, I think the important part is, and uh, uh, there's a, a couple couple great guys that I follow. Um, but the most important thing is I never learned like budgeting or anything like that. Like I didn't learn you get a dollar in, you allocate 10% to this, you allocate 20% to this, you allocate 60% to that. So um, like T. Harv Eker has a, a real simple plan, like the bucket system. It's like you get a dollar in, this is where they all go. Uh, so that's, that's a major thing that I want to teach my kids is I had no idea how to do that. Um, and then also, I don't know if Adam Carroll was on your podcast, but he has a fantastic Ted talk on how he did a monopoly game with money with his kids. And he has this whole like plan set up on how for them to be able to understand money and how to be able to spend money, save money, all that stuff too. And he's a good friend of mine now, which is awesome. Uh, so, but that, that's just understanding money in itself. Like, so just a dollar comes in, where's it go? Uh, that way you never run out of money. That way you know where you can start investing. So getting those, those little techniques ahead of the time. Um, and then also, because I come, come from like a, a blue-collar family. So I always want to make sure there's a mix of like the blue-collar, white-collar type. And I, I don't want to segregate people out there, but it's like, look, it's okay to work hard as long as you're, you know, working smart as well. So like, so my son says, Hey dad, I want you to go to the office. I always say, Hey, like, you know, the house that we're about to buy, you know, like the vacation, we just came back from Vermont. Like we get to have that because dad works hard because he does this stuff. Um, so I, I think it's just instilling that as well. So it's not like instant gratification that I get to have this because mom and dad pay for it. It's look, this is the reason why you get to have this or well, you mentioned the earlier the cause and effect right <clears throat> absolutely so that's a major thing i i, I want to instill in them definitely understanding finance and understanding hard work yeah it's uh it's really kind of funny because a lot of times when i talk to entrepreneurs and i and i ask about their kids 
um, a lot of them uh, will notice entrepreneurial traits in their kids. And I don't know if it's because we're looking for it or if yeah. it's, and, and, and we, we automatically like get excited about that. And then, so, uh, you know, it's like, Oh, you only want to do a business. You want to do that. And like, it gets really fun. Or I don't know if it's that, or if it's just like kind of a gene inside of us. It's like, well, you know, I want to hustle. Cause I have a lot of people that I talk to and they're like, well, my, <clears throat> my daughter is definitely going to be an entrepreneur. My son is definitely not <laughs> right. Mm. And they'll, they'll kind of recognize these, um, I guess, personality traits they think, and they see in their kids and they say, well, he may, or he may down the road, but she's the hustler, you know, and she's the one that gets out there and wants to go uh, break down how things work and how business works and how business plan is going to work and lemonade stands. And, you know, my daughter, my daughter's into making uh, uh, organic dog treats uh, oh, nice. right now. And yeah. <laughs> we were just about, she was just about to start going uh, in the neighborhood and she's nine now. And so she was just about to start going in the neighborhood and COVID kind of coughed up. So, um, you know, it's, it. it's really kind of a fun experience in, in being strategic uh, about how you want them to be raised around money, how you want them to be raised around entrepreneurship. And I think that comes from being uh, a high achiever type, you know, thinking, okay, well, I want to be strategic about where I end up, right? And you're doing that with, you start doing that with kids, I believe. Yeah, I think it's important that it's uh, a lot of it is in my, in my perspective, it's a lot of it's like mindset. So I, I don't, I mean, I'd love my kids to be entrepreneurs. And in, in reality, I think they all can be as long as they get a strategic partner that is like the CEO slash entrepreneur. And then they, you know, do a nice partnership based on a skill set that they have or a specialization skill. Uh, so there's no reason why they have to go in the workforce. They can figure that out. Uh, but it's a lot of it is like self-confidence and making sure that, it's, that that's all entrepreneur is. Like we are confident enough that we know if shit hits the fan, sorry, if things hit the fan and that we're confident enough that we can handle it because in reality, things are uncertain. So we can do our best, we can put our best foot forward and we're okay with dealing with some risk and dealing with uncertainty. So, but that comes from being confident. So it's just a lot of those are like little instillments. And I hope my son is just like me because he feel, I feel as though he has to have the learning lesson happen to him before he recognizes it. Like, uh, which I'm trying to help him avoid that, but who knows? Um, but that, that, that's the important part for me. I just want to still come as they can do it, whatever they want with their lives, whether that be entrepreneurship, become a professional wrestler, who knows? <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's, it's, it really is uh, about that confidence factor for me. Um, you know, I've always said, don't, I don't need a floor if you don't give me a ceiling, right? Yeah. If I can go affect what I'm going to make, then I'm, I'm excited about that opportunity, even though I might make, make nothing if that's the way things work out, right? And uh, I think you've really got to kind of have that, um, well, use a good word, that confidence in yourself that you know there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way, but that's part of the journey. It's, it, for me, it would be boring if it wasn't, mm. right? Yeah. Like, I, can't do the, I can't do the punch the clock for, you know, eight hours a day, 20 years, here's your watch. See you later. You know, it's, it, yeah. it, there, there's no excitement in that for me. It's a little, it's, it's a little bit of rebellious in us all as well. I mean, I think so. I, I could, I wasn't very good in school. Uh, maybe you were good, but I wasn't. I, everybody told me I couldn't do stuff. So that's why I went my own route. And 
I think that's, I think all of us entrepreneurs are a little bit rebellious as we don't, we don't want to punch a clock. We don't want to work for anyone else. We want to have ownership control. I think COVID actually has brought a lot of realization to a lot of people that the old way of looking at business and life is not, it's, it's not relevant anymore. You can't go get a job and have security. It's, it's actually unrealistic. The only way you can actually have security nowadays is if you own your own business because you can make your own decisions. Yeah, that's isn't that a crazy flip? Mm. You know, it's like, it's like <laughs> I what, work for this giant corporation, and now they're doing massive layoffs. Like, I felt really secure a year ago. That's because this big business was quote unquote too big to fail. Well, they may be uh, too big to fail, but you're not too big for them to cut. So <laughs> it's just it's crazy. But if you own your own business, you can make you can make your decisions. You can you can make a pivot. You can change your game plan. You can. You know, it's just, there's just so many things you can do because you own it. Yeah. You know, it's uh, like Disney's laid off 30,000 people, you know, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's a company that's doing fantastic and they still have to do it. And, you know, the airlines, everybody, they're just, it's uh, you know, it, it's part of that control factor that you get to own is, is part of the, like, I guess the allure, you know, to where uh, if you can, you know, I, I've always liked the fact that you, you will use cause and effect earlier. Like I've always liked the fact that like, if I can strategically figure something out, there's a reward on the other side of it. Mm. So that's the fun part for me, the tinkering, the changing, the, the adjusting, trying to watch the markets and that kind of stuff. And so I think what you guys are doing with the real estate market is, um, really falls into that because you're almost, it's a, it's a new game probably every time because you've got a new situation with a different seller and a different buyer. And how do you strategically make the deal work for everybody and all sides around? Because if you don't, you're not going to have a deal, right? Yeah. I, I love this type of business because there's so many levers you can pull on. It's not like wholesaling. You got to get the 60 cents on a dollar. This thing doesn't work or uh, flick, fix and flipping. Like I got to make sure this ARV is at 60% because if I go over budget, I, I'm not going to make my money. Uh, this business is whole bunch of levers and the best thing about it is it, it's creative there's constraints involved if you're not going to if, if you're not going to break your rules we kind of created these rules because chris got hit and my partner got hit in 08 i didn't have any money coming into the business so i didn't have anything to throw at this business so we had to have some constraints which were you know we don't we typically don't put money down unless we're creating some type of contingencies around it uh, we're not going to sign personally, even if the deal is absolutely killer, we're not going to sign personally because you can't build a portfolio that way. If you have a hundred, 200, 300 properties, you're all personally signed on. You're not gonna be able to sleep at night. That, that's not a good position to be in. And then we're not going to use our own credit. And typically we don't use investors money either. So unless the deals are really good and you know, we're able to give up plenty of investors that are trying to throw money at us at this point. Um, but so when you have those constraints, you have to get extremely creative with these types of deals. And that's what makes them fun. It's like, okay, well, the seller wants this. Well, this is what I can give them because uh, this is what I need. And the, uh, you know, but the seller wants this piece as well. So you start to like, you have to start strategically crafting up this like, you know, it's like playing with Play-Doh with the kids. You gotta like strategically start molding this thing together. And at the end of the day, you know, it ends up becoming something magical. Like you end up actually seeing something that works. Um, uh, but at the beginning, you know, it's just a bunch of, it's just a mess. <laughs> the easy way is to just throw money at it. Right. And so that's, uh, that's what I love that you fact that you guys put your own rules into the place and then now you've got to be creative. It's a, it's a forced creativity, you know? And so a lot of times I think with, when I talk to business owners, 
it's always like, well, I just need to hire this guy, or I just need to hire another one of these and hire, and they start adding people and pieces. And it's like, just throw money at it, you know, but when you put those constraints on yourself and you have to get, you have to use, uh, you know, your, your real visionary type talent, that's when it really becomes, you know, that's, that's when you, I see when you've got much more, I think you see a lot more success that way. Right. Because even though it's like, well, hiring somebody is not the easy way. Well, actually it is. So like, how could you do this without doing that? Or how could you make mm -hmm. this deal work? Like, okay, we could put $20,000 in this, or we could sign for this one deal. And we're like, no, 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 we made rules. So how yeah. do we get, how do you, how do you get around that? You know? Well, these are the perfect times. So let's say the hundred deals that we did that we didn't put money down, we had additional profit, you store them in the bank. So now when you have this huge forbearance thing that's about to happen, you do have money in the bank now where you could potentially save lots of people. And now you strategically use your money. Yeah. Not like throw money at every deal, but is the return going to be significant where you would risk, not only risk, but where you would pull out money in order to put down on this deal. Like yeah. is the return going to be that much better? So now your standards of return change because it's like, if I put down no money on this deal and I get 75,000, or if I put money down this deal and I still get 75,000, that doesn't make sense because I can do another deal that I don't have to put any money down on. So then your, your standards of, of when you actually use your money becomes completely different. And so what are you, what are you, what are you forecasting in the next 12 to 18 months or so with kind of all the, the market craziness? Cause there's a whole lot of information out there and you guys are on the ground level with a lot of investors in your community that you guys teach and mentor. And so you're seeing a lot of different markets. And so I'm curious what the, what the mindset is over the, where, where are the opportunities in the next 12 to 18 months? I would say that a major opportunity and I mean, banks can change their mind anytime they want, but I think a major opportunity is going to be people that have been stuck in this, this awful position, meaning they have a lot of equity in their property, but they went into forbearance. And if you go into forbearance, what we've been seeing is then the bank won't refinance your property. So now you have all this equity in the property that you're potentially going to lose when the bank comes knocking on your door for the lump sum that's due. Because event, like we can kick the can down the road for a long time, but eventually it's going to have to stop. And what we found is that only some banks, typically government-backed uh, based loans, are doing are moving it to the end of the term. But not every bank is. So there's going to be plenty of uh, of these sellers that are in this awful position where they only owe ten grand or twenty grand or something that's significantly less than their equity. And we're in a position where, like I was saying earlier, either we make it, uh, we put a contingency in the agreement, find our buyer and then catch up the seller, or maybe we bring in, uh, or we use some of our money now because there's massive amount of equity in these properties, but you're going to be able to save lots of sellers uh, that would potentially lose it all. That as long, as long as they're willing to wait for it, we can help them still achieve that equity. Um, so there's, there's, there's going to be this, in my opinion, this massive amount of, uh, of, of sellers are going to need a lot of help. And we looked at the numbers uh, in a, a conversation with a couple of people, and these are what we've come up with. So I'm not, <laughs> uh, which is roughly 5 million properties are in forbearance, and five to 6 million, and roughly um, 2.5 million of those properties are in delinquency of forbearance. Um, so you just, that's, it's enormous. Uh, so you just have this, this massive amount of people that are going to need help. 
uh, and we hope to be able to find them ahead of time and be able to help them before the bank comes and takes all their all their money. And we can do that with these creative type deals because not because uh, they're going to be able to keep more of their money and and be able to not lose everything. And uh, that'd be the idea there. So there'd, there'd be a massive group of people that we feel we're going to be able to help in the next nine to 18 months. Yeah, that's a big point. I also wonder on the job side of things, um, you know, with layoffs and those kind of things, because you've got employment uh, interruption now, and you've got people who are, you know, typically would be completely credit worthy and employment worthy, except for now they've had a forced break. And I'm, so I'm wondering how the mortgage lending is going to work for them. So they're going to, they're going to need to buy on terms. That's oh, kind of what absolutely. I'm saying. You know what I mean? Or yeah, they're, moving, just... they're moving for new opportunities that are opening up and they're having to move, but now they've got a break or now they're not financeable, but they're any, at any other time, they'd be completely credit worthy people that would be able to, you know, it's absolutely insane. Uh, this is a plus when I've been talking about like, there's a whole nother thing like jumbo loans, which are few and far between now too. We had this property went bought in Colorado with one of our local associates out there. Seller had it on the market, had it under contract with this buyer. Buyer then comes up to uh, the end to get financing. Bank then changes its terms and said, no, we need 750 score. We need 20% down. Had both of those, but did not have 12 months of reserves. He only had six months because the requirement was six months then. Uh, well, 60, 90 days ago. Then, so that deal falls through. Guy goes, uh, guy expires. Our associate calls him, gets under contract. Same buyer calls our guy now and says, oh, if I had the rent-to-own program, I'd be able to do this comes in with like 10% down on the property or 20% down on the property. Now he has time, 12, 24 months, 36 months uh, in order to accumulate the other 12 months of reserves or six months of reserves. Then you can go back to the bank and now buy this property. So this, this is happening like on a daily basis now of like these buyers could qualify yesterday. They can't qualify for today. Now they need a program. So now we can bridge the gap. So it's just a, there's so many different opportunities that are, rearing their head right now and it's just becoming more and more relevant especially since covid happened like the amount of deals that our our community has done since covid it's like tripled every single month meaning if we were doing 20 deals a month or 10 deals a month uh before covid we're doing 30 deals a month now because of the opportunities that are just rearing their heads because people just get frustrated with everything that's happening and i think it's speeding up the fact that terms deals creative financing is going to be more and more relevant because people are going to be sick of playing the rules of, you know, the government and the bank. Yeah, that's a big, uh, that's a big point. And um, I kind of want to, we got to end there. Um, and so Zachary, uh, where do people find out more about what you guys are doing? Um, because I think it's an extremely interesting niche in the property market. And, uh, and I, it really serves to help facilitate deals where deals are getting frustrating and they're getting, you know, into it for both sides, for the sellers, for the buyers. And then there's a, it creates an opportunity, um, you know, for someone who is creative in the financing side. And so where do they find out more about what you guys do? Yeah. Best thing to do. Uh, we got a, a webinar that me and Chris do, uh, that can walk you through. It's about 35 minutes. And then if you want to dive further in it, great to go to smartrealestatecoach.com slash webinar. Uh, if you'd like to uh, book a strategy call with us or like a 15 minute call, we can dive in. Maybe you already have a business you want to add this onto, or maybe you just want to get started. Uh, go to smartrealestatecoach.com forward slash action. It's actually six simple questions. Then you'll get on our calendar. So those are the two best things. Plus you could go, um, 
Uh, go to freesrecbook.com. That's our brand new Amazon book. Uh, we'll give you an electronic version uh, for that. Or you can find us on Amazon. Cool, man. Well, listen, I really appreciate it. I, uh, I maybe I'll have to have back on in a couple of years and we'll talk about what, uh, what the new strategies are with the young ones. And, uh, and if you think real estate changes quickly, Welcome to parenthood because it starts <laughs> <laughs> it starts changing uh, massively, and so uh, creative creative parenting maybe will be the next one, right? <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> and so, uh, well, listen, man, thank you so much for coming on Money Talkers uh, with the audience. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram, at The Money Talkers, for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker